I have used a lot of commerce platforms in the past. By far, the most robust is Shopify. No matter how complex your business needs and no matter how large your business grows, Shopify can handle it. And they do handle it for brands like Rothy's, Ruggable, Allbirds, Knox, Magnolia, Brooklinen, Glossier, and Cotton, to name a few. You may already use another e-commerce platform and you may be super unhappy with it, but you've already put a lot of work into it and migrating to Shopify could seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that it is quite easy. When I migrated to Shopify back in 2022, their apps and tools meant I just had to make a few clicks and everything was ported over as if by magic. Shopify also lets you design your storefront however you like, which from personal experience I know isn't the case for many other commerce platforms out there. All these features and all this control can result in more sales more often. So stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify today, and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their businesses. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial at shopify.com forward slash practical, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com forward slash practical, shopify.com forward slash practical. Hi there, Prakaptan. Welcome back to Practical Stoicism, the podcast that tries to make the ancient teachings of the Stoics a bit more approachable and practical, so you may have a less difficult time adopting Stoicism in your own life. I am your host, Tanner Campbell, and today we'll be working through letter 48 from Seneca's Moral Letters to Lucilius. Before we begin, I'd like to remind you that we do monthly workshops and you can find past ones as well as register to attend future ones at actualstoicism.com. There is a $1 minimum donation required to attend these workshops, and we hope that this low barrier to entry keeps this high quality content available to everyone. Again, that's actualstoicism.com. So here is letter number 48 from Seneca entitled, On Quibbling Being Unworthy of the Philosopher. In answer to the letter which you wrote me while traveling, a letter as long as the journey itself, I shall reply later. I ought to go into retirement and consider what sort of advice I should give you, for you, yourself, who consult me, also reflected for a long time whether to do so. How much more, then, should I myself reflect, since more deliberation is necessary in settling than in propounding a problem? And this is particularly true when one thing is advantageous to you and another to me. Am I speaking again in the guise of an Epicurean? But the fact is, the same thing is advantageous to me, which is advantageous to you. For I am not your friend, unless whatever is at issue concerning you is my concern as well. Friendship produces between us a partnership in all our interests. There is no such thing as good or bad fortune for the individual. We live in common, and no one can live happily who has regard for himself alone and transforms everything into a question of his own utility. You must live for your neighbor if you would live for yourself. This fellowship, maintained with scrupulous care, which makes us mingle as men with our fellow men and holds that the human race have certain rights in common, is also of great help in cherishing the more intimate fellowship which is based on friendship, concerning which I began to speak above. For he that has much in common with a fellow man will have all things in common with a friend. 
And on this point, my excellent Lucilius, I should like to have those subtle dialecticians of yours advise me how I ought to help a friend, or how to help a fellow man, rather than to tell me in how many ways the word friend is used, and how many meanings the word man possesses. Lo, wisdom and folly are taking opposite sides. Which shall I join? Which party would you have me follow? On one side, man is the equivalent of friend. On the other side, friend is not the equivalent of man. The one wants a friend for his own advantage. The other wants to make himself an advantage to his friend. What you have to offer me is nothing but distortion of words and splitting of syllables. It is clear that unless I can devise some very tricky premises, and by false deductions tack on to them a fallacy which springs from the truth, I shall not be able to distinguish between what is desirable and what is to be avoided. I am ashamed, old men as we are, dealing with a problem so serious, we make play of it. Mouse is a syllable. Now a mouse eats cheese. Therefore, a syllable eats cheese. Suppose now that I cannot solve this problem. See what peril hangs over my head as a result of such ignorance. What a scrape I shall be in. Without doubt I must beware, or some day I shall be catching syllables in a mousetrap, or, if I grow careless, a book may devour my cheese. Unless, perhaps, the following syllogism is shrewder still. Mouse is a syllable. Now a syllable does not eat cheese. Therefore, a mouse does not eat cheese. What childish nonsense! Do we knit our brows over this sort of problem? Do we let our beards grow long for this reason? Is this the matter which we teach with sour and pale faces? Would you really know what philosophy offers to humanity? Philosophy offers counsel. Death calls away one man, and poverty chafes another. A third is worried either by his neighbor's wealth or by his own. So-and-so is afraid of bad luck. Another desires to get away from his own good fortune. Some are ill-treated by men, others by the gods. Why, then, do you frame for me such games as these? It is no occasion for jest. You are retained as counsel for unhappy mankind. You have promised to help those in peril by sea, those in captivity, the sick and the needy, and those whose heads are under the poisoned axe. Whither are you straying? What are you doing? This friend, in whose company you are jesting, is in fear. Help him and take the noose from about his neck. Men are stretching out imploring hands to you on all sides. Lives ruined and in danger of ruin are begging for some assistance. Men's hopes, men's resources depend upon you. They ask that you deliver them from all their restlessness, that you reveal to them, scattered and wandering as they are, the clear light of truth. Tell them what nature has made necessary, and what superfluous. Tell them how simple are the laws that she has laid down, how pleasant and unimpeded life is for those who follow these laws, but how bitter and perplexed it is for those who have put their trust in opinion rather than in nature. I should deem your games of logic to be of some avail in relieving men's burdens, if you could first show me what part of these burdens they will relieve. What among these games of yours banishes lust or controls it? Would that I could say that they were merely of no profit, but they are positively harmful. I can make it perfectly clear to you whenever you wish that a noble spirit, when involved in such subtleties, is impaired and weakened. I am ashamed to say what weapons they supply to men 
who are destined to go to war with fortune, and how poorly they equip them. Is this the path to the greatest good? Is philosophy to proceed by such claptrap and by quibbles, which would be a disgrace and a reproach even for expounders of the law? For what else is it that you mean men are doing when you deliberately ensnare the person to whom you are putting questions, then making it appear that the man has lost his case on a technical error? But just as the judge can reinstate those who have lost a suit in this way, so philosophy has reinstated these victims of quibbling to their former condition. Why do you men abandon your mighty promises, and, after having assured me in high-sounding language that you will permit the glitter of gold to dazzle my eyesight no more than the gleam of the sword, and that I shall, with mighty steadfastness, spurn both that which all men crave and that which all men fear, why do you descend to the ABCs of scholastic pedants? What is your answer? Is this the path to heaven? For that is exactly what philosophy promises to me, that I shall be made equal to God. For this I have been summoned. For this purpose have I come. Philosophy, keep your promise. Therefore, my dear Lucilius, withdraw yourself as far as possible from these expectations and objections of so-called philosophers. Frankness and simplicity beseem true goodness. Even if there were many years left to you, you would have had to spend them frugally in order to have enough for the necessary things. But as it is, when your time is so scant, what madness it is to learn superfluous things. I love this letter. It combines two of my favorite pieces of advice and throws in a little sprinkle of extra. First, there's a kind of, and I'm air quoting here, you can't see me, philosophy which is useless and which you should actively avoid. Overly contrived, pseudo-intellectual stuff like, well, a mouse is a syllable because the word mouse is a single syllable, and mice eat cheese, so syllables are also mice. Everyone knows syllables don't eat cheese, and participating in a veiled attempt to cause confusion in a clever way isn't a good expenditure of time. And secondly, just because you suck at being consistently good at something doesn't mean you should give up trying to suck incrementally less every day. And you don't have a lot of time to put towards doing that because you are a mortal person, a mortal living thing. Seneca's use of the word quibbling in this letter is a bit ironic because he himself is quite a robust quibbler, or at least that's a criticism I've heard of him and what I frequently find myself agreeing with, not dissimilar in irony with how he has before remarked on how unnecessary words are unnecessary, right? Don't say too much, say less, as the kids say. But never have I ever met someone so willing to spill a page of ink on a topic that could have been more easily summarized and just as poignantly expressed on a post-it note. Or perhaps that's just me using Seneca to defend my shorter episodes. But there's something Seneca talks about right at the outset of this letter, which I feel deserves more attention, and which I will take a moment to highlight before I get on to the real point of this letter, that philosophy is next to godliness. And that thing is friendship, which Seneca talks quite a lot about, but not in any letter we've discussed thus far. Returning to the letter for context, quote, but the fact is, the same thing is advantageous to me, which is advantageous to you. 
for I am not your friend unless whatever is at issue concerning you is my concern also. Friendship produces between us a partnership in all our interests. There is no such thing as good or bad fortune for the individual. We live in common, and no one can live happily who has regard to himself alone and transforms everything into a question of his own utility. You must live for your neighbor if you would live for yourself. This fellowship, maintained with scrupulous care, which makes us mingle as men with our fellow men, and holds that the human race have certain rights in common, is also of great help in cherishing the more intimate fellowship which is based on friendship, concerning which I began to speak above. For he that has much in common with a fellow man will have all things in common with a friend. Friendship to the Stoics is a fairly complicated thing to get right when discussing it, although I have just perfectly described it in saying that it's difficult to get right. I won't pretend to have a strong grasp of it. I'm still learning, likely the same as you, but Seneca's description of it makes it sound very different to the Socratic concept of friendship. Socrates, the way I understand it, thought if someone was to be a friend, they should be as close to being wise as possible. For why would you spend time as a friend with someone if that person was a vicious fool? Which on the surface sounds reasonable enough, but given that we're all not sages and so therefore all vicious fools, where do you draw the line between this person is too vicious and too foolish to be my friend? The Stoics, on the other hand, going off of what Seneca seems to be saying here, and this is, of course, my interpretation, flips this on its head. A human being, a living thing, in fact, is something you are concerned with as a Stoic because you see the harmony brought about when all things are looked after appropriately and carefully, and with this knowledge, you look after and care for the things you can look after and care for. A friend is already a thing you understand is part of that harmony, because a friend is a living thing, but it is also more. A friend is a person with whom you have all things in common, which, in this instance, feels like it means your well-being and their well-being are perfectly interconnected and made better or worse in tandem. Which, and I could be wrong about this, again I'm still learning, seems to suggest friendship isn't a thing you choose so much as it is a responsibility. In Stoicism, friendship appears to be based more on inverted roles and needs, that is to say, where you have a role and someone has a need, and that person has a need and you have the role, and they have a role and you have a need, and vice versa. There always seems to be that balanced scale, making friendship not really at all based on whether or not you like another person as a friend in the contemporary sense of the word friend. I don't want to say more on this because I'm not educated enough on Stoic friendship in particular to say more, and if I'm barking up the wrong tree or heading down the wrong fork in the road, I don't want to go much further. But I think this view of friendship as I'm interpreting it here is interesting, if I'm right. And if you want to share your opinion on the matter, join the Discord because I'd love to hear it. Moving on, philosophy is next to godliness. What do I mean by that, or what did I mean by it when I said it earlier? That, from Seneca's point of view, and that of the ancient Stoics, probably, philosophy was and is the only path to virtue. Virtue is the knowledge of how to live excellently. Virtue is, of course, the knowledge of how to live excellently. 
Nothing could be more godlike than living excellently, and if philosophy is the practice that gets you there, then philosophy is a religion of sorts that guides you to salvation from viciousness and vice. I'm being a bit heavy on the metaphors there, but hopefully you get what I'm saying. But more than this, or so Seneca seems to suggest, philosophy is the only path to this salvation, and if you're not doing it, then you'll never get there. Now, aside from the God talk, because you know how I feel about that, I'm inclined to agree with Seneca on this point. I believe that nature has got it right, because nature is the thing that gives rise to everything else. If anyone is doing it right, whatever it is, it's nature. I do want to emulate nature in the way that a human being can emulate nature, which, as we know by now, is to live according to their nature, or more appropriately, going back to the previous episode, and from my point of view anyway, use our special kind of consciousness to think ourselves back to living in alignment with nature. Because, just to revisit that a bit, animals don't need to do this, but we do. That is to say, other animals don't need to do this, we're still animals. Because our consciousness breaks us in a way. We are like a honeybee that woke up one day, able to do math and ponder the future, and as a result, has a bunch of things it would rather be doing than making honey. But then, we came across this old book and an ancient idea that we as bees are actually supposed to be making honey. That's our purpose. So we're actively using our new bee brains to fight the urge to do anything that isn't in our nature as bees. Or, you know, as weird bees that can do calculus and read books in this increasingly silly example. We have to choose to be natural, or we'll never know what harmony with nature is like, and if harmony with nature is like being one with God, and if philosophy is the only tool we can use to first realize and then implement what that realization presents to us, then I suppose, in that sense, it is true. Philosophy is the path to God. And just to really drive home the point here, I'm talking about the Stoic concept of God, not any other God you might be thinking I'm talking about. This episode is a little long for Tuesday, so I'm going to stop here and pose a question. I hope that you will answer in the Discord. Two questions, actually. First, what do you think makes a friend a true friend? And second, do you agree with Seneca that philosophy is the path to God? as in nature or the universe, as in to be harmonious with the Stoic God. Go to stoicismpod.com forward slash discord to join our community and to answer those questions if you'd like to. And with that, I will say thank you for listening. And until next time, take care.